Coming to you from the Tar Heel State, this is the Carolina Commercial Real Estate Connection, bringing you industry insights and hot takes from Carolina real estate experts, helping you begin, grow, and scale your commercial real estate portfolio. And now your hosts, Tony Johnson and Cameron Pearson. Welcome to another episode of Carolina Commercial Real Estate Connection. Today we have Eric Rice. Eric's out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Eric, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Tony. I'm uh, looking forward to getting into it. Awesome. So, Eric, tell us a bit about where you've come from and where you are now. Sure. Yeah. So, I, uh, you know, kind of post college, I was in a biology degree, went to uh, move down to South Carolina. So, not too, too far from you. And I was a wildlife biologist. For several years really enjoyed that and then uh, wanted to get more into the business world so moved up to dc got my uh, residential real estate license started uh kind of selling a bunch of residential properties up there with a with a partner that had already been established in that market that was pretty key at the time because we were kind of in the at the height of the of the of the 0809 recession there and so it was, a, it was a tough real estate market to enter but we were fortunate we had a bunch of large national lenders as clients and so we ended up selling quite a few of their foreclosures in addition to kind of our regular business um after that point you know i, I worked in dc until about 2012 and uh then moved moved back to pittsburgh we were ready to have a family my wife and i and uh so we moved back to pittsburgh uh the outside of the city but but still in the region uh get closer to friends and family started selling residential real estate here again at that time um i had another another small business at the time as well a healthcare data company that's still in existence today and then um then i you know kind of decided and, and it had kind of been chewing at me all along where it was kind of like all right you know i can make quite a bit of money on an annual basis selling residential real estate but the minute i stopped selling is, is kind of the minute i stopped making money and that didn't seem like a great long-term plan to me so I uh, decided I wanted to get into buying and, and holding uh, kind of commercial size investment properties. So started that in about 2017 and uh, picked up a, a couple of partners along the way. Uh, my, my brother, uh, Patrick Rice, who's full time in our company as well. Uh, at that time, we, we joined forces. And then shortly thereafter, um, our third partner, Clayton Pegger, uh, who's who's a friend of ours and uh, local to our area as well, uh, joined in. So there's three partners in the current company, Rice Pegger, and uh, and we own uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 doors or so. And that is mixed between, you know, larger commercial spaces and, and apartment uh, apartment units. Um, so that, that's kind of where we sit today. And we've got uh, got big goals and, and kind of a, a long way to go to get to them. But uh, I'm looking forward to the journey. And I think I think we're about to get into a season where where uh where we can really make some progress on those goals so i'm excited wow there's a lot to pack into that um that's fantastic all right so as far as um you know the family i, I love family as well as everything else so with your when you moved in 2012 did, uh, you got married around then is that when you guys got married yeah, so my wife and I actually met when we were living down in, in South Carolina. She was teaching in Charleston, and I was a biologist on Keough Island, just south of Charleston. And uh, we met down there. She was from Pittsburgh. I was from Pittsburgh. 
and we moved up to DC together. We got married um, shortly thereafter. Uh, kind of lived the the single the single life uh, in terms of I say say single. I've had kids for so long that I consider being married without kids single. I guess, but you know, <laughs> living the, the 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 no kid lifestyle in DC for uh, for a while, and that was fun. And then uh, in our you know right around thirty years old, uh, we were like, all right, let's have some 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 kids. We want to plant some roots, have a family, and uh, and so. In doing that, we made the decision that we want to be closer to our families to to kind of help raise those kids and have that support system around us, which is why we moved, decided to move back to Pittsburgh. And, and how many kids do you have? We have two kids. So I've got a, a 10, turning 11 later this week, a year-old daughter, and uh, I've got an eight-year-old son. Awesome. That's fantastic. All right. All right. Well, that's a, that's that's great. Yeah, it's a, and family, you know, is what drives us to get all all this stuff. So, just want to dive into a couple little things before we dig into uh, your real estate uh, investing and ventures. So, you said you started a healthcare data company. Um, could you tell me a bit about that? That's still in operation. You said so. Um, how how does that work? What is it, and how does how's it operating? Yeah, so it's it's kind of an offshoot on my professional journey, I would say. So when I moved back to Pittsburgh, um, my stepfather was in the medical field and was was opening some small offices across the country. Uh, and his specialty was in in kind of rare disease medicine, and so he was kind of treating these isolated populations of patients uh, around the country. Um, he ended up, and and then so I, you know, was was hesitant to do that for a while. Um, but he kind of ended up persuading me that, hey, this, this is a good opportunity. So I jumped in and started helping and open some of those offices around the country and kind of organizing the back end of that business. And shortly thereafter, he uh, he ended up passing away. And, and when that happened, um, we had a, a pretty substantial patient population base, probably a couple hundred patients around the country. And um, they were all on short length, like two week infusion cycles that they needed to be on. So Myself and and uh, and one other uh, kind of uh, employee in the business worked quickly to make sure all those patients got off to places where they could be treated, et cetera, uh, in a timely manner. And while we were doing that, there was there was this big part of the that business that wasn't a big monetary part, but just an important part for the patient populations was the the data registries where their information was logged and then used to to be studied in the future by by scientists and researchers working to come up with better treatment for those patients. And so a lot of those patients were going to be at sites where they were end up lost in that registry and they had, had all this good data entered. And I said, well, I'm not a doctor, so I can't treat the patients, but if I could keep up that part of the business, um, that'd be a good thing. So we worked with a drug company, found a physician in Ohio to partner with us and, uh, and myself and and my current partner in that business kind of started that data business at that time. So the gist of it is, is we we collect data on those patients. It's all de-identified and then it's entered into these medical registries, which are used for study and research um, of those diseases. And so that's the piece that's still going forward. And we've, we work with about, it's a small company. There's just two of us in the company and, and really I'm relatively passive at this point. Um, and uh, I think we work with about 125 to 150 patients across the United States, just collecting data and, and making sure it gets into the right place. That's awesome. Now, when you were setting that up and you're saying you're relatively passive right now, um, and I guess I'll, I'll circle back to this later is 
uh, when I get a little bit more info on you. So on the real estate, you were doing the selling of the residential real estate in D.C., moved down, continued doing it in Pittsburgh a bit and decided uh, it was a, your path was better served to buy and um, do investing in real estate. So could you kind of tell me what was the biggest eye opener? I know you were doing some residential real estate in the beginning. What what was the transition point from doing residential fix and flips to starting into commercial? What was your first commercial transition purchase investment? Sure. Yeah. And that's a great question. I think the way I got there kind of mentally was I did a couple of flips and I was like, all right, this is good. Um, I mean, some of them had their challenges, especially the first one. But but once I figured that out, I was like, okay, this is good, but it's still pretty active income, right? Like as soon as I stopped flipping properties, I'm going to stop making money. So um, a friend of mine uh, turned me on to a podcast. You know, it was kind of early days of podcasting. It was Old Capital Podcast, which still is, exists today. And it's kind of a lending based podcast out of Texas where they do tons of multifamily transactions. And I, I listened to that a couple episodes and I was like, oh, okay, this is this is how people do it. Uh, and so um, once I heard that, I decided, all right, so it's, it, you know, multifamily is probably where I want to be. And, uh, and so the first portfolio we bought was this pretty rough portfolio. It was the second half of like, of an estate portfolio was 37 units, I want to say. And we paid. First, I think the first half gonna... sold off pretty easily. The second half was sitting around for some yeah, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we're friends <laughs> with the guys that own the first half of it. And they've done a fantastic job with it. And, and we kind of, we, I'd say, you know, we're partners, not financially, but partners in, in terms of what's going on in that area. Um, so they bought the first half and we ended up buying the second half. And it was, I think they were asking like 2 million bucks or something for it. We ended up paying 1.223 million. So call it 1.2 million and uh, it was 37 units spread out across a couple of apartment buildings. Some of them had some mixed use. So kind of commercial space on the ground level and then thrown in there too were some vacant houses and abandoned lot, you know, a couple of random, uh, random things as well that we ended up selling off. Uh, so uh, that was the first purchase. We, we didn't have, you know, enough money at the time to do it uh, between my brother and I. And so this is the time where um, I had been, you know, friends with my neighbor uh, for for a long time, and and uh, we'd always talked about business and doing something together. So we approached him about kind of coming in as a third partner on that, and that's that's the start of uh, of Rice Pegger there. So we all went in on that, and we're able to we're able to take that down, and then did a whole bunch of heavy value add over the first year and then refinanced, I think about 85% of our money out of that transaction and went and bought more stuff. Awesome. All right. So this is always, so the first property people always do when they get these, nobody ever has the money the first time they're doing something like this. So it's always a big mind trick on how how to do all this so i want to dig into this just a little bit if we can because these are always the most fun when you're learning about someone their first deal so we have a property was two million you guys get it for 1.2 did you do standard financing on the deal that would be question one we did so we we ended up getting uh 80 so so we got the bank to agree to you know look at it as a as completed value right and uh we we ended up getting eighty percent uh, 
of, of the financing from that local lender. They financed 80% of the purchase and 100% of the rehab costs that we estimated at the time. Now, that estimate was not great. Uh, it was mine and it was, you know, spreadsheet math and, and best guesses. And, you know, we, we ended up doing very well on that property. But I, I would say we didn't hit our budget on that property and we spent money in a lot of places we didn't expect and we we didn't spend mother, money in, in other places we did expect. So um, we're very fortunate to have a local lender that had some faith in us for no real reason uh, other than we created a nice package uh, and it looked like we knew what we were doing when we went to, went to talk to them. Yeah. All right. So when you dis- when you mentioned it initially, so we had 37 units. And you, you, it's a, you, from what you said, you had apartments, commercial mixed use, vacant buildings, empty lots, and yeah. you, you quickly breezed and said, we sold off some of this, some of this. So let's go through based on what you said. So we have mixed use, we have apartments, we have vacant land, and we have vacant building. So is that to cover it all? Yeah, it does. Okay. So what did you sell off of that? So we sold, we donated a vacant lot to the local community development foundation who ended up selling it for like 15 or 20 grand. Um, we just kind of wanted that off of our books. It was, it was kind of a hazard in our, in our mind. Um, but they liked it and they made some money off of it, which was great. Um, we sold uh, a parcel with a vacant house, really two vacant houses on it um, to a local guy that, um, we had been introduced to that had done some rehabs on on some single family stuff. And at that point, that was it initially. And then we went to work on, yeah, there was a, a 12 unit building and that was nine apartments and three commercial storefronts. So we went to work rehabbing that. There was a seven unit apartment building. We went to work rehabbing those. Um, what else was there? There's like a three unit in there, which is almost like a townhome style triplex. Uh, we renovated those. And, uh, there was, there's a, oh, there were a couple of others. So the, there was one big full on commercial building. It was probably about 10,000 square feet. That was leased out when we got it. We had started on plans for that and, you know, but it was occupied. So we didn't have to do too much there initially. And then there was a big building, I would say closer to, I don't know, 15,000 square feet, a three-story building, um, next to that, that had some commercial in place on the first floor and then the second and third floors were vacant. So we got to work on design plans for that of turning that into an apartment building at that time as well. Holy moly. Now, do you own any of this stuff still? We do not the last two I just said, which is probably why I forgot about them a little bit. (laughs) Um, We sold those uh, after several years, just maybe two years ago, we sold those to, that other group in the same small town outside of Pittsburgh that had bought the front half of that portfolio that we had, you know, since become friends with mm-hmm. and they have a in-house construction company and they were just able to take advantage of, of doing that work at a lower cost on those two buildings. And they've done an incredible job with them and they own those two now, but everything else we still own. And we added some other um, just kind of a, apartment buildings, small apartment buildings down there, a five unit, a seven unit. And then, another four apartments with one retail space underneath of it. So if you can picture it, it's kind of a small town. It's like a home run. 
good deal for your first deal. This is not normal. With this, this is a crazy good deal. I mean, unless this is in the most dangerous area of all places. I mean, this is a, no, a no. good deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was. It just was. You know, I mean, I think we took six dumpsters of trash out of the one building in the first month. Like it was just messy and hairy, and uh, it's in a good quality, like working class neighborhood right outside of Pittsburgh with, you know, a little commercial main street and that kind of stuff. So it was a good deal. Um, there were just fewer people buying at that time. And, and I guess not a lot of people were willing to do that amount of work. Um, yeah. 2017 so, was still, you, there, you were still definitely able to get deals. I mean, the foreclosures had all dried up, but things were still not moving great. You know, we were still coming. There was a transition in uh, political change and the economy was starting to kind of churn up in a great direction, but it really wasn't felt universally. So the you know, st people still had the mentality that real estate really wasn't going anywhere because it had been flat for so many years realistically yep. from 09 to 17 17 is really when it started to kind of build up some momentum but still there was tons of deals still available and this sounds like a fantastic deal if you could uh without getting too in depth could how did your how did your return look so where's your cost basis on this project you refinanced 85% out you said now yep. that was that including all these changes or was that just after you rehabbed it yeah, that includes everything. So like we put 140 grand a guy into it initially when we bought it. So that's, you know, three times 140, whatever that is. And uh, and we 11 months or 12 months later, we refied out of it and we each took whatever 85 percent of 140 is 115 grand or something like that out right. per person. So mm -hmm. our basis remaining in that is incredibly low. Um, we did then use that money to go buy some additional properties um, down the road, but have since refied those as well. And so that was our model out. at the time. And it was a good model. Um, it's it's a little less relevant now in a lot of ways, just with rates where they are. But if, if at the time, it was a good way to, to kind of make your money go a long ways. We weren't raising investor funds or anything at that time. Um, we wanted to make all the mistakes with our own money. We made plenty of them. Okay, so let's still, go. We still did pretty good. Well, yeah, this you sounds like you did phenomenal on this one. This this is something um, whenever you're getting a deal, when you have this many different things in the deal and you can package something like this together, it gives you so many options of selling off portions to lower your cost basis. You're renovating these things to, you know, build equity and sweat equity. So great first project. So moving on. Uh, beyond this, that's awesome that you did so well on your first one, did it all with your own money, created a great partnership. It worked with these same partners because you're still in business with your brother and your friend today, which is awesome. So you've got that. So let's walk through the next couple projects because now you're you're building some momentum. You guys are feeling good. What was the second, third projects? What were those all about? Yeah, so the second one I kind of lumped. Well, I, I've mentioned it a couple times already. We bought those those additional units right in that same area outside of Pittsburgh. So, and, and the same thing kind of roughly happened there. The third one and and kind of our first in a new market was another small town outside of Pittsburgh. Uh, it was a mixed use property. Um, it was on a, another another main street property, and uh, it had been kind of vacant for a bunch of years. It was a family that owned it. They'd operated a restaurant out of there 
And uh, they shut that down, I don't know, five or six years prior. There were holes in the roof, flat roofs, so a bunch of water damage, mold, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it was it was basically vacant other than, I think, one apartment. Um, but that was commercial. So uh, I think in total there's, let's call it 5,000 square feet of commercial space there. And then there's three apartments uh, on the second level and, and in the rear of that building. Um, so we bought that. That was a seller financing. Uh, deal that we were able to come up with. Um, the purchase price on that was, I think, three hundred and thirty-five thousand. It, it was a great deal. It needed quite a bit of work, obviously. I uh, again kind of walked that, uh, came up with the, the the general renovation budget there, um, and and we were we were able to buy that with, I think, about eight percent down on that project and the seller held the note for the rest of it. And then we went out and got some commercial, uh, you know, kind of more standard commercial lending money to, to do our rehab there. Um, but the finished product there is we've got a restaurant tenant that's been in that space since we completed it. Uh, we've got a, a kind of an art studio uh, space that's been in the other commercial space. And then those three apartments have obviously been renovated and, and rented since we completed that. So that 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 one's been been a really great project for us, and I think our total budget into that was we were able to do all that for about one hundred and eighty five thousand or one eighty five to two hundred k. All right, and so how did you find this property? So that is it that on market or off market? It was you know the the borough uh, that that's located in Zealand Opal Borough, north of Pittsburgh. Um, the 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 council had passed some laws kind of saying like, hey, if you've got a vacant property on Main Street, you either need to be in the process of renovating it or you need to meet, at least make an effort to sell it. So like the effort to sell it, to kind of check the box there was the guy had taped a note in the front window with his name and his phone number on it. And uh, and a friend of mine had told me about that. And so we called him and and just dealt with him directly. So I, I don't know if you consider that on the market, but it wasn't on the, it wasn't with a broker. <laughs> so like a postcard on the door, I don't consider on market. So that's awesome yeah. that, you, that you found yeah. that. And so um, did, did you, how did you approach them with the seller financing? And could you kind of walk us through the deal? I know you said 8% down, kind of walk us through how you negotiated and structured it and why it made sense for them and you. Yeah, um, and it, this is a, a kind of a tactic or or a, a method I still use today. And often, if if I'm dealing directly with the owner, or if I know there might be some potential there uh, for seller carry, um, in my letter of intent that I submit to that to that building owner, um, I'll lay out a couple of scenarios uh, like A, B, and C. And A might be you know the lowest price with conventional financing, and uh, and just nice and simple, clean cut type deal for the for the owner. B might be it. We'll just do A and B. And B is B is hey, I can give you ten percent more for the building, uh, but uh, you're going to have to carry the note. And here's how we're really going to get to that ten percent. You know, and maybe maybe it's twenty percent more because if you if you hold a note for five years on a couple hundred five hundred thousand bucks or something like that, you're going to gain an additional hundred k in in interest payments over that time. So I kind of lump that into the number. And uh, I show them a couple of scenarios. And then usually that ends up with, hey, let's sit down and have a conversation about this. Before I do that, though, I definitely make it a point to go over, um, you know, what we've done as a company in the past, um, who we are as principals or owners of that company, 
and and kind of our commitment to that type of project and our knowledge. Because in my opinion or or my experience, if you just throw out a seller financed type offer to somebody um, without that background, they're like, oh, well, these guys don't have any money. So I'm not even going to take them seriously, which is usually also why I put a conventionally financed offer in there as well. I'm happy to take either A or B. They both both work for me and my company. Um, you know. I really like that. And so you're the first person that's ever kind of proposed doing that. Now I hear the you know three offers. So you do lower price, 10% more for owner finance, maybe another 10% more if you do master lease with an option or something other, you know, to get a third offer and, you know, but I, I would understand where the majority of people you see, they see these offers. One, a lot of them don't understand the offer and why it's beneficial to them. And unless you're getting to sit down, like you're saying, and chat with them, then they're just going to be like, uh, no, I just want to get out of the deal and give me more money. Right. And they right. don't quite understand. So you really taking that time to sit down and talk to someone and getting in front of that owner is extremely important as long as you're understanding what you're offering and able to explain yeah. it to them in a way that they can understand um, how it will be beneficial to them. Uh, and I love the idea of saying, you know, what what we've done in the past and, um, you know, here's kind of our track record and a little bit about us. Because the reality is if somebody's going to do hold a note for you, uh, you know, it's not like they're able to do like a bank, they're not underwriting it as a bank. They're just a person and they just have to have complete trust in you. So as opposed to yep. being like, uh, here's how quickly you can take it back and you don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. You know, build, you're building trust, which makes them a whole lot more inclined to take an offer like that. So I think that's fantastic. And uh, kudos to you for, you know, creating a nice relationship method for making the deals like this work. I think that's awesome. So what? So now yep. these we're all talked about so far are ones that you and your partners did on your own dime, figuring everything out, like you said initially, and making sure you did it right before you ever considered taking and using anyone else's money. At this point, um, you guys are doing more stuff, bigger deals, and have taken on investor capital. Could you tell us a bit how that got started and what when you started doing that, maybe a project or two that you've used investors on and kind of what you've done. Yeah, absolutely. So um so yeah, we that project wrapped up, that was successful. We did a couple of other on that same block in the same form and fashion, really. Um and then we we got an opportunity at a deal that we had looked at way, way back, like back in 2017 when we first started. It was uh, 62 apartment units, uh, a 30 and a 30, a 30 unit and a 32 unit. Um, another small town outside of Pittsburgh. We had looked at them, like I said, way back in the day. We it was above what we could have figured out how to do financially with our own money at the time, and uh, and so we had kind of backburned it, put it on the on the on the, on the table. And uh, I guess somebody else had purchased it anyways. An out of state investor had purchased that. They lived down in Florida. And effectively, during those three or four years, they ran it completely into the ground. Uh, and it wasn't that far out of the ground uh, back then anyway, but <laughs> they finished it off. And uh, it came back onto our radar. Uh, we went and toured it again. At that point, I think they were representing 
about 60% occupancy on the units. And I think in reality, when we toured it, it was probably closer to 30% occupied and probably 10% of them were paying. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't in a good spot, in a good spot. Um, the, uh, the buildings were, were, were pretty decent structurally. They were like seventies built kind of split level style apartment building, you know, half a set of steps up, half a set of steps down. So the low, the first four units are half underground, half above ground. If you can kind of picture that garden style and, um, we walked it and we're like, okay, you know, we can't pay you what you want. Our our real number on this is somewhere around ten thousand bucks a door, which is you know not great if you have a a million dollar purchase price on that a couple of years before or whatever. Yeah. Um, so we we negotiated that. It took a long time to negotiate it. Um, we got that locked up, and so I think we we, we were paying six hundred and thirty k for that. Our renovation budget for that project was about 1.5 million i want to say to get those back into back into condition and um at that time we were like okay we've got the experience um we the there's a lot of meat on the bone in this deal we could go raise some money on this and use it kind of as a a starter project for all right how do we syndicate uh and and what does that look like what does that process look like so uh we went out, raised some funds on that deal. Um, our, our initial raise, there's one other building, not to complicate it any further, one other building in the other town that we had done the Main Street redevelopment stuff on that we threw in there as well. It was a commercial mixed-use building. Um, and so the, the total raise we needed to make to, to fund that first syndication was $1.5 million. Um, this was in, I want to say, 20, 2020 or 2021 actually 2021 is when it was and uh so we kind of pulled together a nice a nice package outlining what the projects were again outlining what our experience was and what we had done and we just did a kind of a friends and family raise uh and we were able to with with kind of a, an email and a couple you know some certainly some phone calls with different investors in a, in a webinar that we did uh, i think we had that 1.5 million raised within about a week and in a uh, week on your yeah, first time I mean, doing it so were all three of you involved in this race yeah mm-hmm. okay yep. all yeah, three was, of you were involved and had any of the three of you ever raised capital prior to this no no so you raised in one week one and a half million dollars three of you never raising and that's uh you're you're passing over that like it's nothing but that's a massive deal and it's a mindset thing because the majority of people that are trying to raise capital initially first time they're looking at two three hundred thousand and i'm of the mindset and it sounds like you and and your your group is of the mindset that you're you're only limited by where you're limiting your own beliefs so to go out there and raise capital the first time 1.5 million in one week you know obviously the market was much better. I don't want to pass over that. And, it's, you know, it'd be yeah. difficult, more difficult to do that in the same environment as it is now. But to just still tackle that and do that and create uh, the comfort level for people to invest that much money in you in one week through doing a webinar and doing it with friends and family, you know, congratulations to you and your team. That's that's awesome that you guys had the mindset to do that. And congratulations to you because this is how you get somewhere in life. 
you're take action type of person. And, you know, you can sit on the sidelines for the rest of your life or you can go take action like Eric's doing here and become something. So congratulations to you. So you guys raised one and a half million. And uh, so walk us through that whole process. Yeah. So, um, you know, part of that process was just learning what we needed to do and having the right attorneys in place to drop the correct private placement memorandums and make sure that we were following all the SEC rules and all that that sort of thing, um, which was new for us. Um, the reality is, is there, you know, if, if you've got a good team, uh, they, they, they help you out a lot with that and it does cost some money, but it's, it's, you got to pay to play. Um, so once, once we raise those funds, um, you know, it, that was a tricky deal to close. There was, there was hiccups with closing. The seller ended up being short on what they owed the bank. There was some other bank involved that we didn't know about. Basically, I just got on the phone with directly with all those banks and said, look, you don't want this property. Like you're going to have to figure out something else with this seller and we're going to need to close this. And, uh, and, and they eventually agreed to that. So, so we did get that, that done. And then, um, we, we pretty much got to work on, <clears throat> excuse me, on the 30 unit building. Um, and we, that was our first priority. And then we were going to move over to the 32 unit building. So I will say our budgets went incredibly well. Like we hit our budget. We had a $100,000 contingency in there. So we used up our budget plus our $100,000 contingency, although we had a little bit of that left over, which, which we were able to use to, to pay off some operating costs and the bank let us do that, which was great. Um, that part went great. The timeline, not, not as good. Uh, so I, I wanted to start doing distributions in month 18. Um, and we ended up doing our first distribution in September of this year. So that was month 24. So. I would say we missed our construction timeline and our lease up timeline, you know, if I match those together by about six months. Um, but um, I'm still incredibly happy with the project. We we certainly exceeded all of the projections and expectations by quite a bit. I mean, I think I think we were, you know, we, we were under on our rent projections by about 20 percent. Um and and again, that's kind of probably due to our conservative nature. I'd much rather under promise and over deliver. Um, and so I think right now those buildings are worth between 4.5 and $4.7 million. And we're all into those two for about 2.2. So basically a double up. And that's, that's with today's conditions in mind. Um, so that's expanded cap rates. That's me projecting flat rents next year. 2% rent growth after that for the next few years. And, uh, and so I, you know, I, I actually think we'll do better than that, but we're just going through all of our, um, I would just say we're stress testing our portfolio, all the different pieces of it right now. And I, I, I happen to know those numbers cause I was just looking at that last week. And, um, that's with, with my current updated kind of stress predictions in place. And, and those things are still going to cash flow really well, uh, for the investors. I think the, the average cash flow on those will be just as they sit right now around between the two buildings around 13% annual cash flow and then that's not to mention any of the you know the equity pops that we get with a refi or a sale down the road which awesome. are which are substantial all right so for a couple of things i want to touch on one so to hit your budget the timeline it's understandable. So anybody that's in construction or in building has been in building from 2020 through now, you know, hitting a timeline is extremely difficult. You have to be agile. Me as a contractor, I, I'm 
able to manipulate timelines a little bit, but the biggest thing you cannot manipulate is availability of material. So if you've got a certain yeah. electrical panel or a certain HVAC unit, you cannot manipulate because you can't get it. So, you know, and if an engineer specifies something and you can't get an as equal, then you have to wait. So either you get something, the engineer to modify something, or you're going to be waiting. So the timeline is understandable 100%, but to go in the timeline that you were when there have been a lot of people making a lot of mistakes, you guys must have been really diligent on your underwriting uh, to make these things turn out as they have. Um, so that's great. Now, I wanted to understand if you're hitting timeline, I mean, this close to timeline, plus you're hitting budget, do you have a good relationship with a GC that you're working with? Because these are big renovation projects that you're working. Have you worked with the same contractor over and over again, or are you bidding them out? How are you doing that? Yeah, we do a little bit of both. That In this particular case, um, that was a contractor we had worked with on two or three projects just prior to. We had a great working relationship with them. Um, we did bid this out. We did eventually go with the guy that we knew already and had a good relationship with. He uh, was certainly instrumental in in making that happen. I mean, there was a lot of things that were less than 100% defined on this project when we started. And, you know, he made it happen on his end to to, to get the final products to where we needed to be, which, which turned out really, really well. I mean, they're great, great apartments. Uh, and um, so having that relationship with that contractor was you know, effectively the way that that project got done without, without that relationship and trust on both sides, um, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have come together. We also had help from the local municipalities there. There's, you know, there, there are two neighboring boroughs right next to one another. And we went and kind of met with the code official, uh, the police chief, et cetera. When we initially started this, told them what we were doing and, you know, got their full support, got them on board and, you know, they made sure there wasn't much red tape in the way for us. And uh, they even ended up paving a couple of roads around each of these projects for us as we completed them to kind of finish them up. And and that was just helpful from a long-term curb appeal standpoint too. And, and just for the residents that live there, they've got a nice street to drive in on and access their parking lot from and everything. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, to go, go through that real quick, you know, networking in your, in the communities that you're operating in, building these long-term relationships, you know, doing what you say you're going to do to city officials, to contractors, to people that are leasing and become your tenants, you know, being a person of your word, building long-term relationships that gets around and it helps you as you grow, you know, becoming a better person. Obviously, you guys are a legit group that are out there producing quality goods and building good, long-lasting relationships because you wouldn't be able to grow and do this well if you weren't doing that. So anybody can go and, you know, put some crap together and put something and throw it on some paper and say it's going to do well. But just listening to you and all of these things, the reason that you guys are becoming successful from project and gaining this momentum is because you guys are obviously networking around, building solid relationships and being a person of your word. So awesome. Congrats to you guys for that. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, you know, every every project gets a little bit better. Every every budget hopefully gets a little bit better. I had missed some other budgets prior to that pretty substantially. So uh, that was a big win for us to kind of to kind of come in on budget on that one. And we've got a couple of projects going on right now that I hope we can replicate that on. So. 
Yeah, well, type of take action type of person, that's the way you do it. So have you ever taken any of these? I'm big time into these Colby, Clifton Strengths, culture surveys or anything like that. You ever take any of those? Kind of identify I, I, yourself? A little bit of like some of the disc profile stuff I've 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 done. And then, you know, I, I certainly read a ton of books on uh, you know, mindset and organization. Organization is not my strong suit. Um, mindset I'm getting better at and uh and just, I mean, I think the the key takeaway, and I don't know, I've probably read enough books at, at the moment where I could stop for a little while and wait for something new to come out, but there's not a whole lot of new stuff under the sun. And it just kind of motivates me to keep keep reading them and keep reminding myself of those those basic principles and tenets. And really, it's like, hey, move forward, be a good person, do what you say you're going to do. And and things usually go pretty well. That's been That's been a good way to look at it for me. Yeah. And so you, it sounds like you're more the idea, the visionary type of guy and uh, in your group. And um, I'm assuming maybe your brother's more of the analytical uh, type of person in your group. Is that accurate? Yeah. And we're just kind of work, working that role out now. So when we started this, we were all still, you know, operating our full-time jobs. I was a real estate agent selling a bunch of real estate. My brother was an ad tech uh, working for a New York-based company. He was in New York at the time. And my other business partner operates a private jet company. And so, um, you know, at the time we were all, this was a side hustle for us. Uh, and it took until about, I'd say almost, almost two years ago now, uh, when I moved into this company full-time started drawing on a salary. And, and at that time it was me and a maintenance technician. And since then we've, we've brought property management in-house. So we've got a full-time property manager. Um, we've brought bookkeeping in house, so we've got a three day a week kind of bookkeeper. Uh, and then just a couple of weeks ago, my brother was able to exit his, uh, his job and come in full time as well. So he's certainly going to help with organization, uh, and, and implementation of lots of ideas, um, and, and things that we've had over the past couple of years that we just haven't had the capacity to get to. So pretty excited about that. Uh, and, uh, and we've, we've kind of positioned ourselves to take advantage of. Well, we expect to be, you know, quite a few opportunities coming up over the next 12 to 24 months. I said that a year ago, uh, and I've, I've been wrong for about a year, but I think we're finally starting to see uh, some of those those larger opportunities come up uh, that, that we're going to try to execute on. So I'm pretty excited about it. That's awesome. So if people wanted to get in touch with you to find out more about your offerings or just discuss with you real estate or how they could potentially get involved with you guys, what's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, and I'm always happy to jump on a call or or shoot some emails back and forth. I love analyzing deals, talking about real estate. So, uh, you know, don't be bashful to reach out if you're listening to this. Uh, best way to get a hold of me is eric at ricepegercapital.com, spelled R-I-C-E-P-E-G-H-E-R capital.com. And or you could find us uh, on Instagram at ricepegger. Uh, probably on Facebook as well. And uh, yeah, love to hear from awesome. you. Awesome. Well, Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and walking us through everything. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you down the road and finding out how you're doing and all the big projects you got coming up down the road. Thanks again, man. I really appreciate you joining us today. Thanks, Tony. Had a blast, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Carolina Commercial Real Estate Connection. You're officially one step closer to conquering the market. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss a future episode. For more information or to connect with Tony and Cameron, check them out online 
at www.timelessci.com. We'll see you next time.